You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Good morning, everybody. You are listening to the Liberty Buzzard Podcast, a podcast where we pick apart the dead, stinky news along the highway of American culture. I am Dustin Hammett, and with me this morning is my co-host, Thomas Umstadt to the Jr. How are you doing this morning, Thomas? Doing all right. How are you? I am caffeinated and motivated, as I usually am at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's 10 o'clock in the morning for those of us uh, who are, are joining uh, at a different time of day, so that's... Uh, that's the kind of person you get at 10 o'clock in the morning is caffeinated. It's and 10 a.m. somewhere, Dustin. It's 10 a.m. somewhere. <laughs> I feel like you're encouraging me to open a beer, Thomas. No, I'm encouraging you to drink more coffee. It's 10 a.m. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll have to get one of those caffeinated beers. Are they yeah, still making I'm, those? I'm not sure what the point is of that. It's like you have alcohol and caffeine together. I feel like you could save money and just not drink either and get the same effect. Well, the same people, same reason people drink Red Bull and vodka, you know. If you're if you get up and get down at the same time, man, that's just a that's just the way to, the way to do it these days. <laughs> Kids these days, they just, they don't know how to drink a good honest beer. They have to make it all fancy. Yeah, right. Well, what's going on in the world today, Thomas? So the uh, Trump apparently won the primary that he was not in, according to the Washington Post. Uh, specifically, he picked the winner. He was able to oust a sitting congressman uh, with a tweet, which I imagine has put fear and trembling across the Republican Congress, lest they uh, anger the fearless leader. What do you think about that? The tweet heard around the world. I'm not even really familiar with tweet you're talking about. Uh, I always enjoy uh, President Trump's so- tweets. He sent out a tweet yesterday um, during the election saying that Mark Sanford has been very unhelpful to me in my campaign to make America great again. He is missing in action and nothing but trouble, blah, blah, blah. He continues going on. He says he fully endorses Kate Arrington for Congress. And what do you know it? Kate Arrington wins the primary vote. Now, that doesn't mean she's going to become congressman. It means that she is now the Republican nominee to run in November. It's almost as if President Trump has formed his own political party because you have this large group of Republicans, and I'm going to say they're, they're more intellectual-type Republicans, um, who absolutely despise him and, uh, or are lukewarm about him. Uh, you know, big heads like uh, Ben Shapiro, you know, who sometimes support him, sometimes don't. They're, they're classical conservatives. Um, but then you have President Trump's base which I think uh, we could properly call the MAGA crowd these days, who are diehard Trump no matter what. Um, and I think the MAGA, the, the interesting thing to me as I'm looking at it, and this is just an outside perspective, no study done here, but the interesting thing to me is it seems like the MAGA crowd draws mostly from the conservative Republican base, but there's there's quite a bit of, uh, there's quite a bit of, Democratic working class base that have gone into the MAGA crowd as well. It's it's a really interesting dynamic. And one of the things I ask myself about politics in this day and age, and really about anything beyond politics, is has social media has the the the, the direct contact from with a politician to reach out and and directly touch their constituency without the filter of with of, of journalism of of a newspaper or, or a newscast has it polarized 
and forever changed politics as we know it. What do you think about that? So I think the party is definitely shifting. And it's it, to understand how it's shifting, I think you need to look back at Trump's background. And when people look at Trump's background, they're often talking about his business background, but they often don't talk about his background with uh, professional wrestling or what I would, and he's, what he's done is he brought in this whole new group of people, which I would call monster truck Republicans. There's a kind of person who watches professional wrestling and professional wrestling is very popular. Monster truck rallies will fill football stadiums full of people. And these are people that normally don't matter to the elites. Like if you are in power, you don't think about the kind of people who go to monster truck rallies and who go to professional wrestling tournaments. But Trump actually has been in the ring of professional wrestling. In fact, at one point he got his head shaved because <laughs> he, he was so tired of people saying that he had a toupee. He actually got wrestled to the ground and they shaved his head in a, an arena for professional wrestling, which you would think would have ended the claims that he had a toupee, but... Apparently, people didn't really care <laughs> what the truth was. They just wanted to criticize his hair. And these people are coming in and they're voting very regularly. And what I've noticed with kind of the normal Republicans who weren't very excited about Trump when he first uh, ran is that they're quietly putting on monster truck hats or sorry, uh, make America great again hats, MAGA hats. They are now quietly being like, well, I like what he's doing. I support the president. And he has gotten to be, in my, just from my observations, much, much more popular with mainstream Republicans than he was a year ago or two years ago. Well, you know, uh, you got to count me in that crowd. Um, I definitely don't go to monster truck rallies. Uh, I don't uh, particularly enjoy watching wrestling. I know a lot of people that do. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there because most of the people that I know that do enjoy that kind of stuff are diehard Trump fans. You know, as, as you and I have spoken before, we're in the same camp here. Neither one of us were big uh, fans of Trump uh, when he went, went for election. Um, but I'm also a firm believer in actions over words. And the actions uh, that he have taken so far, um, you know, uh, I, I, I can't say I'm un unimpressed because... Um, Say what you will about the man, but uh, he's one of the few politicians who goes out there and is line by line fulfilling his campaign promises. It's it's really interesting to watch. Whether I agree with it or whether I disagree with it, he is line by line going out there and fulfilling his campaign promises. And, you know, that's impressive to me one way or the other. It is. And a lot of people weren't sure what he was going to do when he gets to office. And a lot, including myself, have been a little terrified that some of the things he promised he's actually delivering on or trying to deliver on, like free trade. So the G7 summit uh, recently happened, and Trump has been anti-free trade from the very beginning. This was his issue back when he was on Oprah in 1991. He was complaining about free trade. Trump has never After, been a fan. baby. <laughs> he's never been a fan of free trade. Um, which in some ways really concerns me because he's, he's alienating all of our trading partners. But in another way, it doesn't concern me because no one agrees with Trump. There is not a single like presidential contender that I can think of on either party who agrees with Trump that protectionism is the way forward, which means that we are limited to six more years maximum of protectionism. And I think the rest of the country, of the rest of the world, if they're savvy, they're going to realize that. And they're not going to respond too strongly to what Trump puts into effect, even though he is kind of burning down or trying to burn down the entire free trade system. Uh, so the big thing that has Canada's panties in a twist 
and rightfully so, I think, actually, uh, for, and I'll explain why in a second, is that he is using a clause in the World Trade Organization's charter. Uh, normally, when there's a um, trade dispute, you can, you know, there's rules that govern it. But the one exception is, if you say that it's for national defense, you don't have to abide by the WTO rules. You can just say, we're going to make this change and institute this tariff, and there's no retaliation. And we are saying that we need aluminum and steel for national defense, even when we're buying that aluminum steel from Canada. <laughs> so Canada is our closest ally, both in like military, but also in terms of like actual proximity. You can put metal, you can put aluminum on a train in Canada and drive it to the United States. In fact, the metal factories in Canada, in some cases, are closer to, you know, the factories in the United States than other metal factories in the United States, right? Some things in Toronto is right across the border from a city in, um, like, Detroit, Detroit is right next to Toronto, is that right? Um, Detroit's a big steel city consumer. They just ship it right. It's very close. Like, you can't say, oh, the supply lines will get disrupted. They're right here. They might as well be another extension of the states of the United States. And they're really offended, and I think rightfully so, when we're like, oh, Canada, you're a national security threat. And they're like, wait, I thought we were your closest ally. Yeah. Um, I, I I definitely am more of a free trade type person. I uh, I studied economics, and I'm, I'm, I place myself firmly in the... Uh, Milton Friedman, Mises, Hayek camp of it makes more sense for the markets to sort each other out than it does for governments to try to play games. Um, I think as a theory, that's the best way to go because I think if you look at markets or governments who have tried to play games in the past, there's always secondary and tertiary effects of, a, of an economic policy that are completely unknown, um, that, that nobody can guess, and it, it's, just, it's just reaching, right? Um, so I, I think it's best left to the market in those types of situations. Am I, a, am I a huge fan of tariffs? Heck no. I think they're a, a terrible idea. Um, but at the same time, here's, um, here's where I, I, I lend some credit to the president, what he did at the G7. A, uh, he's got a position that, uh, they, 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 they being the, the, uh, the G6, the other ones that are not us, in the G7, countries are taking advantage of our largesse. Um, I am not educated enough on the matter to, to, to really speak that intelligently on it, but what I will say is that on the surface, you know, the man's got a point. If we're going to do free trade, let's do free trade and, and let's stop playing games and have certain countries have uh, protectionist policies while we don't. Um, let's say, let's have free trade and let's let the cards fall where they, fall where they may. And the interesting thing to me about uh, Trump's position at the G7 and what everybody's complaining about right now with the tariffs, I mean, pretty quick, uh, or actually at the G7 and then shortly thereafter, he said, okay, let's let us let's get rid of all tariffs altogether. I'll drop my tariffs. You drop your tariffs. Let's have absolutely free trade. So I'm wondering if, uh, and I'm pretty sure it is, is this is just a negotiation, negotiating tactic for Trump. Say, hey, we're going to put these tariffs up there. We're going to throw a grenade into the middle of a crowded room and, uh, you know, we're going to hold the pin and we're going to say, okay, people, uh, you want me to put the pin back in? Let, let's, let's, let's play ball. I don't know if that's, that's kind of a, that's kind of a brutal metaphor there, but, uh, so yeah, when it comes- I think the, 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 the end result is, is he's trying to make other people scared of what could happen. So to bring them back to the table and get absolute free trade. And if he does do that, 
then I'm going to say, you know what? <laughs> Good on him once again. If he's absolutely serious about these tariffs, then I think that's a bad decision. We do not want absolute free trade, or at least uh, America doesn't want free trade. I would love to see it, but we are the worst when it comes to shenanigans. So here's an example of shenanigans uh, that the United States pulls in terms of subsidies, because it's not just about tariffs. It's also about subsidies. So if uh, a country subsidizes the cost of something that they're exporting, it makes it so cheap that it puts the local producers out of business. And we subsidize agriculture. We've put out farmers out of business all over the world. There's whole countries where people used to grow their own food and now they just buy cheap American food instead. And these subsidies are are sometimes in this, and they are just straight up money from the government. So money comes from the government to rich farming companies every year. But it's also something as simple as an agricultural exemption. So my grandmother's got a ranch. She's got you know a couple dozen cows on it. And because she has those cows on her ranch, she doesn't have to pay property taxes because Texas exempts land from taxes if it's put to an agricultural purpose. That is an anti-free trade act because if another country isn't also doing the same thing, it makes our beef cheaper because we don't have to pay taxes uh, on our uh, ranching land. And, you know, that's a huge change, right? Trump saying, hey, let's have total free trade. Let's get rid of all of these subsidies. Suddenly that's affecting things that people don't realize that it's affecting. (laughs) You're going to start paying taxes on your hunting ranch. uh, And those few cows aren't going to be enough uh, to justify it. So um, I I just don't, don't see him wanting that. I don't see him pushing for us to clean up our act. I think he's just wanting the other countries to clean up their acts and stop subsidizing and dumping and, uh, putting on tariffs. And that's not how this works. You have to do it together. Uh, the other thing is that Trump is convinced that a trade deficit is a bad thing, that we buy more things from other countries than they buy from us, and that hurts the United States. And my question for people who believe that is, how does it hurt us? So we are getting super cheap stuff. And let's say countries are hurting themselves to give us stuff cheaper than it really costs. So it costs China $100 to make an iPhone and they subsidize it by 10 cents. And so they're selling us or by $10 and they're selling us every iPhone for 90 bucks or selling Apple every iPhone for 90 bucks. So every American pays $10 less for their iPhone or Apple computers makes $10 more on every iPhone. How does that hurt us? That's making Apple really wealthy. It just stimulates the economy and it makes us wealthier because we now have those $10 to go spend on Starbucks or something else. And uh, not only that, But China now has those dollars that when we inflate our currency, which we do by 2% every year, those dollars become 2% less valuable every year they own them. So it's like they're giving us a 2% loan on the money just to hold it. So the more that other countries hold our dollars, the uh, wealthier we are. And it's almost like all of those countries have to pay taxes on those dollars. We'd much rather have them inflating holding US dollars than inflating holding euros. And part of what drives that is our trade deficit, the fact that there's so many dollars in so many other hands in the United States. And Trump's trying to unravel that. And I feel like he's that's really, you know, just because somebody doesn't understand economics doesn't mean that they shouldn't listen to people who do. And pretty much every single economist that I've talked to or heard from all agrees that, you know, trade barriers are a bad idea. We've tried them for hundreds of years on and off, and they may never work uh, in the in the large run. You may be able to help a handful of people, but you hurt a huge number in the process. And I think you're absolutely right there, Thomas. Um, 
I'm not so sure if I agree with you on the subsidies part. Um, I do and I don't. Uh, it's a complicated. It, it's never black and white, right? We live in a very gray world, and it's especially when you're talking about economics, right? It's always so much more complicated than than, than just if we do this, then this happens. It, there's there's secondary tertiary effects every single time. It's extremely complicated. Um, that said, I agree with you. I mean, most people don't understand the fact that uh, China holding billions of dollars of our debt. They think that they're going to come in and buy our country. A, no, I, I don't think that's going to happen because, you know, the Chinese government could say, hey, we have a, a billion U.S. dollars. We're going to buy you. And uh, the United States of America just say, ah, nah, nah, we're not going to play that game. Um, so what what can China do with a billion U.S. dollars? Uh, well, they can buy you because it's dollars and you can't spend dollars in China. And you can't you kind of can, but you really can't spend dollars anywhere else in, 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 in the in the world. Um so what can you do with those that those U.S. dollars that they bought? Well, you can buy U.S. stuff. So eventually they're going to have so many U.S. dollars, they're going to have to start buying some U.S. stuff. Uh, which, of course, if you buy U.S. stuff dollar, U.S. stuff here in the United States, you're buying from American companies, and I think it's a good thing in the end. So That's um, right. The, the reality that made, <laughs> is they can't do that. They actually have to continue holding our debt because if they were to start spending that money on U.S. stuff, the value of the yen, the Chinese currency, would rise. And the value of the dollar would fall. And everyone's like, oh, we don't want the dollar to fall. It's like, actually, the dollar falling value is really good if we're trying to export. Because it makes stuff from America really cheap. And it makes other countries want to buy our stuff because it's cheaper comparatively. Even though those dollars spend the same inside the United States. And China is terrified of the yen actually floating at its real value. Because then they might actually have unemployment. In their whole social contract with the government and the people in China is, you let us continue pretending that we have communism and we will ensure full employment. <laughs> so we're not actually going to have communism, but we're going to all pretend together and you will not insist on democracy as long as we keep the economy good. And the only way they can keep the economy good is by continuing to stockpile American debt, um, and which is really fascinating because they are way more dependent on us than we are on them. Because if we have an economic collapse, maybe the parties will shift, right? If the Democrats are in power, the Republicans will come in power or vice versa. That's not a major shift, right? Those parties switch back and forth all the time. If China has an economic collapse, the Communist Party will get ousted and they will never come back in. You never see communism re-enter a country. Like once a country tries communism and then tries democracy after that, they're done. They, never, they may go to totalitarianism, but they never go back to communism. And China realizes that, and so they're terrified, and so they're forced to stockpile our debt and basically just pay that 2% inflation tax every year on trillions of dollars uh, and get nothing back from it when they could be buying really cool American get gadgets and gizmos and movies and whatnot. I like your, uh, I like, I like your little your analogy there of uh, the social contract over in China. You know, we enjoy the social contract over here in the United States, too. It's called the American dollar. Um, it's uh, it's all looking at each other, all, all of us looking at each other and say, in agreeing, handshaking and saying, yes, the dollar does have value, even though uh, it's a piece of paper. Or uh, more than more often than not these days, it's just uh, it's just a digit on a on a uh, it's a it's a zero or a one on some computer program, right? And it's all just agreeing and shaking our hands and saying, yes, the the yeah yeah we got it. The the, the dollar has a value. 
Yeah, people freak so, yeah, out about cryptocurrencies the- <laughs> like Bitcoin, and they're like, oh, but it's just bits, ones, and zeros on a computer. It's like, that's all your money is. Like, you don't even have paper yeah, anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's all Bitcoin now. You swipe your credit card, you know, how do you know that there's actual dollars going from your bank to the, you know, credit card company's bank? It's all it's all digital. The only way you know is by logging into a website, right? I don't get a, I don't even get a statement in the mail anymore with like what my money is like. It's all digital. Even the reporting of it is digital now. Not a single tree is harmed. I can spend thousands of dollars without a single tree being harmed in any way, uh, which is really fascinating. The whole, con- uh, con- I realize this has changed the subject, but the whole conversation about Bitcoin calls into question like the essence of money. And really, it's just faith. We have faith together. And faith is a powerful thing. It's able to give worthless pieces of paper immense value. Uh, to motivate people to do things. Yeah, you're right. We did take a hard left turn there, didn't we? What did we start talking about? I think we started talking about G7 or something That's right. Like the that, G7, right? So, yeah, so the G7, uh, what's interesting, so real quick, some context on the G7, because this is thrown around a lot, and I don't think a lot of people understand what the G7 is or what the difference is between the G7 and the G20. The G7, it, you would think, are the seven most powerful countries or the seven largest countries, but that's not true. If that, that was true, Canada would not be in the list because Canada is way down the list in terms of wealth and population. Um, it's the powerful countries that won World War II plus Japan and plus or minus Russia. So Russia gets added and subtracted every once in a while, depending on how we feel about Russia at the time. <laughs> so uh, They're in timeout right they're, now. They're in timeout right now. They actually took themselves out. I think in 2012, Putin just didn't show up. Uh, so technically, Russia was a part of it, but Putin is just like, I've got other things to do. I don't care about you losers, um, which is such a classic Putin move. <laughs> it's like the biggest diplomatic event of the year, and he's like, eh, I'm going to go to my DACA. I'll, I'll go show, hunt some polar bears or something. Um, so the G, uh, G, uh, I think it was the G5 in its very first year, and then it became the G6, and then they slowly added numbers. It was G6 first. Uh, started in 1975. Uh, to talk about the oil crisis, because apparently we ran out of oil in 1975 because uh, Saudi Arabia decided to just stop selling oil in those lines at the gas stations. And so the um, leaders of the most powerful countries at the time met to discuss what to do about it. And what's interesting about the G7 is that it's a a meeting of the president's or prime ministers of the country. It's specifically a meeting of the heads of state. There's no governing body. There's no apparatus. There's not even a permanent secretary. And they have a rotation. And every year, a different country's president is also the president of the G7. And they host it. And they used to host it in big cities like Paris, but there'd be riots and people would die and cops would be beat up. And so now they they host it in these resort, fancy, fancy resorts in the middle of nowhere that the rioters can't get to. Uh, And they pick some, like... uh, vacation village in uh, Canada and they spent hundreds of millions of dollars getting it ready for the G7 uh, this year. So what you're saying, Thomas, is that all the cool kids in high school got together and decided to go to Cancun for spring break? That's exactly right. And the other kids that are like becoming cool kids, like India, and India's like, hey, we're a democracy. Hey, we're in the top five of uh, economies. Hey, we have the most people in the world. Can we join the G7? And the G7 countries are like, no, you're not cool enough. And India's like, why? And the G7's like, because. It's like, that's not a reason. It's like, why can't we get in? It's like, we have technology too. And uh, I have not heard a good reason for why India is not in. In fact, the um, not cool kids 
have actually created their own separate cool kids table. So it's uh, the brick, uh, I think it's bricks, it's um, Brazil, India, China, and South Africa have their own separate, what they call the G5, and there's one other country, oh, R, Russia, uh, that they have their meeting. And so there's like the cool kids table, and then there's the other cool kids table. And what's funny is that the G5, 50 years from now, may be actually wealthier than the G7. Uh, so you think that you'd grow up out of high school or middle school, but reality is you take it to like those powerful people in the world and they still, middle school still reigns the law of the jungle. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's high school everywhere, man. Whether it's, uh, whether it's, whether it's your corporate office or whether it's the G7, it's, it's, it, you know, you have a cool kids table and then you got everybody else that are sitting over there for lunch. And that's, I think, hit the nail on the head there. Well, Thomas, I think we're out of time for today. Yes, that's about as much as the G7 is probably worth talking about. There's more to say, but I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> probably not. You've been listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstadt Jr. Picking up the news along the highway of American discourse. Thank you for listening.